Hello, and I still need an intro. Welcome to the Cinema Draft Podcast. It is your host, the creator, CEO, and founder of the Cinema Draft game, Eduardo Jackson. And Cinema Draft is where daily fantasy sports meets the movies. But instead of drafting athletes from teams, you're drafting actors from movies and how their movies perform at the North American box office. It earns you points for your call sheet of actors while competing against others for fun and prizes, but we'll get into more of that later. Let me introduce my co-host from the mighty Palouse out there in eastern Washington. It is the lead designer of Cinema Draft. It is Peter Vota. Here comes the sound of a good old-fashioned American beer. Oh, there it is. Oh, Oh, is it lit? Yep. We're cracking up tonight. Damn straight. Shit is so lit. And as you can see, well, as you can see behind me, I'm at the beach. Not really. And as you can hear, we have got a new soundboard, and I'm going to go nuts. So, you know, tell me what you think. Email us at podcast.cinemadraft.com podcast.cinemadraft at gmail.com tell us what you think about the background tell us what you think about the new soundboard tell us what you think about Peter cracking open a beer and getting it off the chain and what, you know, now we got you together now here Peter let's have a little fantasy football minute because this is you know part of our lives what we enjoy to do you know how did your fantasy football team do this weekend fucking sucked absolutely awful um, I, so I like to chalk it up to the fact that this was the first bye week uh, week, uh, but I really can't because my bye week stand-ins were both Kirk Cousins and the Washington defense, both of which performed, you know, fine, uh, good enough to get by. But uh, you know, nobody else had that great of a showing. T.Y. Hilton out in out in foggy London town, kind of. Uh, let, let, let me hang in a little bit. Uh, CJ Anderson, Travis Kelsey. I mean, everybody did okay, but uh, not enough to win the game against a, a tough opponent who had Crabtree who went the fuck off. And I got smoked by 24 myself, so it was a bad week all around. We'd also like to take the time to introduce you to our drinking game. Generally, we like stuff. When we say we like stuff, we say that it is very, very lit. So whenever you hear lit, um, you have a drink, and I'm actually introducing a new word to the podcast drinking game tonight, because this, this is one I'd like to promote. I want to get this out more into the cultural lexicon. It is clutch. When something just comes through, when someone does something either unexpected or awesome or exciting, it is so clutch. Am I right? So clutch, so lit. Uh, shout out to David Ortiz and your uh, th- all the years and the three championships of the Boston Red Sox. Happy retirement. Big- yeah, David Ortiz going out on top. <laughs> get your Vader on. That's right. So I actually, before we get into what we're watching real quick, I, I have a very pressing burning question that – I need to have answered. I'm sorry. We talked about this briefly. I said, save it for the podcast. We're at the podcast, so I need you to explain to me about your adult pastime of Dungeons & Dragons. What the fuck? Go. All right. Well, I've been getting it. I've been getting it from everybody, man. I've been getting it from my wife. I've been getting it from you. I've been getting it from everybody, you know, that I know back home that gives me shit. Uh, Listen, Dungeons & Dragons is a legitimately fun pastime you have to and you know what you're you're a trained actor i would think that you would be able to appreciate this because you have to be able to really let yourself out of that comfort zone playing dungeons and dragons with other people you got to be able to you know uh play out a character and basically uh improv act on the spot (laughs) no i i i I agree. I mean, you it, it definitely have to expand your mind. You have to expand your mind to play Dungeons and Dragons. I love Dungeons and Dragons. Everybody's making fun of me for it. It's a new hobby I picked up, but listen, I liked it a lot. The first time I played it, it went real bad for me, but in the back of my mind the whole time I was like, this actually I think could be a lot of fun if I played it with dudes that I, you know, that I knew better who were also new at the game. So I did just that and as it turns out, I find the game very fun. Honestly, I really do. 
So, so where do you meet these Dungeons and Dragons people? How do you, like where do you do you meet them on Reddit or where do you guys commune? No, it's 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 actually a couple of guys that I work with. It's just a coincidence because I had a guy who I worked with who asked me if I would fill in for um, another player who was away for a couple of weeks. Pitch and... hit Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, that's wow. exactly what I did. I pinch I, I pinch hit and I did a fucking terrible job. And um, but another one of my coworkers was like, "Look, I just bought all this stuff to play D and D like the other day. We were gonna start a new game if you want to get in on it." And I said, "Yes, let's do it." And so we did it, and uh, it was a hell of a Friday night, man. And I don't give a fuck, man. I'm almost thirty, all right. <laughs> so like, aim on the fact that I'm not out at the club at, at thirty years old <laughs> playing Dungeons and Dragons. Hey, it's cheaper, I'm sure. And and full disclosure, I you know dabbled in Dungeons and Dragons uh, in my past. Uh, I was very much a fan of the six and eight sided dice. They're very cool. I actually, appropriated them for other games I'd make up. And then I turned twelve. Oh, that's fucked up. That's brutal. That's brutal. <laughs> I'll have you know that I bought my own set of custom dice. And uh, if you're watching the video cast, you can. <laughs> You can actually see these shits right here. It's got a nice white and blue gradient patina to it. They are very, very, very lit. Okay, so we are losing our, our, our five people in the audience. So we're going to keep it moving to what I'm watching. And since on our, little, on our football prop bets I won this week, I get to go first. And I and first on my what I'm watching is Westworld. And kind of like when I alluded to our, our Westerns pod a couple of pods ago about how that was actually a kind of creepy, cool movie and everything. Yule Brenner, the shaved head, the robotic cowboys and stuff, you know, on that on that uh, strange world where, you know, the robots eventually kind of get sentient and take over this Westworld. I mean, it's a series. It's by uh, Jonathan Nolan, who's the brother of Christopher Nolan of Batman and, and Inception fame. And also he's done his own uh, uh, good job on uh, person of interest. He's really kind of into like futuristic sci-fi type stuff, and this is creepy cool as well. Um, it's a slow burn a little bit, you know. It's kind of setting the the world after the pilot, so I'm intrigued to see where it's going to go. But it's it's definitely creepy cool. I really want to get to the second thing I'm watching, which is Insecure. And my God, my girl Issa Rae has translated successfully from her awesome web series, the the was the awkward black girl, into this uh, co-creation with Larry Wilmore, formerly of the Larry Wilmore Show, and also I think a producer or or co-creator on Blackish. Larry Larry Wilmore gets around, and uh, they have created just an awesome, incredible, fun uh, like. L.A. female kissing cousin to Atlanta. I mean, this thing, she the, the, it, it follows this 29-year-old woman who's, you know, I mean, obviously she's a, she's a little bit insecure about some stuff, but she's just, you know, she's quirky. She works at this nonprofit with a bunch of uh, white people who are trying to help black people. They're always going to her as, like, a cultural reference, and she, you know, like, gives them the Heisman, which I love that shit because I know how it feels. <laughs> oh, what does unfleek mean? I have no idea what that means. Of course, I know what that shit means. <laughs> but, you know, it's all these little things that mean it's just it's very LA centric. It's very it's it's like a brainworm into the black women I know. I am all the way here for it, and it would be my new favorite show if it weren't for Atlanta already. And I really think Issa Rae and Larry Wilmore have a hit on their hands. Have you seen this show yet, Peter? It's on it's on demand. No, I. I, I haven't, but first of all, I want to get the record straight and just let everybody know that I know what on fleek means. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. that's right. uh, no, but 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 what I did want to say is not a lot of people I think know this, but Larry Wilmore, who I'm a big fan of, is uh, or was an executive producer at least at some point um, for The Office. Oh yeah, he was on that. Yeah, exactly. He definitely was a writer on that show. A lot of good people. I think. Yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna get it wrong. But yeah, you're, Larry Wilmore's got chops. He's been around for a while, um, and he's got another hit on his hands. It actually debuts on HBO on uh, next Sunday night, and it's on demand on Directv right now. The thing I'm really buzzing about, I just finished it like an hour ago, and I'm and I, I started calling random people because I want to talk about this show. Is Luke freaking Cage? Oh my God! It is the truth. Yes, it does work, work. serious work. 
Rihanna's, Rihanna style, straight up. It is the blackest thing I might have ever seen. It is literate. It alludes to our to our boys uh, Walter Mosley, Donald Goins, W.B. Dubois. Talks about the Harlem Renaissance and everything in the middle of a contemporary urban superhero. And I use that lightly in quotes because I mean people you know look down on the superhero genre, but it is it's within the Marvel you know cinematic universe. It is stylish. It it has the full diaspora of black music on display. Everything from like from from like old old school big band Duke Ellington type you know music to contemporary you know hip hop and rap. Actually, there's I mean you know there's there's some cameos. Method Man shows up. There's a whole song Bulletproof Love. It is just I mean it is it has Harlem front and center, and the women bring it hard if not harder than the men in this thing. I mean, Rosario Dawson, she's like the connective tissue between all these different, you know, Marvel TV shows on Netflix. And she she's in there, you know, holding it down, um, uh, Boricua style. Simone Missick, she is a revelation. I've never seen this woman really before in, in my life, and she is just crushing it as Misty Knight, who's the police counterpart to, uh, to our main dude, who is Mike Coulter, uh, who plays Luke Cage, our boy from The Good Wife. Man, has he... It's just, it's just almost been... It's been amazing to watch how his stature has grown. I mean, he's going to be... I mean, he's already, you know, making the rounds, doing you know, press for this and everything, and he's being widely received. But I remember him on The Good Wife as just the well-spoken, very literate, super intimidating drug dealer, uh, Lamont Bishop. And it's just... It's amazing to see him take on this role as basically a bulletproof black man. The, the, the backstory is it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a black male superpowers... And his superpower is that he's got unbreakable skin. Like, you you know, you shoot bullets off at him, it just bounces off, doesn't hurt him. And if he does get hurt at all, it heals up super quick. That's his, like, superpower. And so, I, at first I was a little bit, you know, I, I, was, I was a little cautious going into this, uh, into this show because I was like, well, how interesting, you know, you know, how much fun can a guy who's indestructible be? And... The co-creator, the creator of this series, Cheo Hodari Coker, uh, was quoted as saying, "In these times, and I know, I think we all know what we mean by in these times. I will never get tired of a bulletproof black man, and let the church say amen and ashe. Snap your fingers up. I am definitely there for it. If you haven't seen it yet, it is, it, it is as our boy would say, major key. Major key. Got to get on that. Yeah, is it on your radar, Peter?" It is for sure. And listen, so this is a testament to how good Luke Cage seems. I am not a fucking Marvel guy. I am not a DC guy. I don't do any of that. I'm not an Iron Man, Avengers, any of that stuff. I don't do it. Um, I like the Punisher. I like I, I like the Punisher. And, and this kind of leads into the question I was going to ask you when you brought up Luke Cage. Is you said Luke Cage is uh, you know, the blackest thing you ever you ever seen. So so my question is, what's going to be blacker, Luke Cage or Black Panther? Because if Black Panther eats pizza, we eat pizza. <laughs> Ooh, wow. Oh, man. That, that you know, I, I mean, I guess we're going to have to find out. I, if Black Panther comes out, I think, in 2017 some, at some time. It, the cast is awesome. Michael B. Jordan, our, you know, our boy Chadwick Boseman, uh, Lupita yeah. Nyong'o. I mean, it's, it's, it's studded up. Um I don't know. I mean, the cast is is blacker than shit. I love it. <laughs> I'm definitely, I'm definitely there for it. But um, that, that's that's gonna be close. I don't know. It's the thing about Luke Cage, which I found really, really refreshing, is that it it definitely has its twists and turns. Alfred Woodard holds it down. She's, I mean, she's got to be sixty something maybe at this point. She is sexy as hell in this. She's, you know. Lighting up the lighting up the screen with just like her intensity mm. and everything. I mean, it's and, and it and it's it's very cultural too. It never lets you forget that you know the the wellspring of, of artistry that's in the black community and 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 it, and it touches on all the topics that we're talking about today with police brutality and harassing black men. And and basically, I tweeted out a quote from the movie this afternoon where someone in the movie says, you know, who would have thought that that the hero that that our, the hero we have for today is a black man in a hoodie? Because that's Luke Cage's costume if he has one. He just wear, he walks around Harlem wearing a hoodie and Cheo Hidari Coker the creator of the series said he that was a very purposeful choice because we're basically trying to you know deconstruct the myth of the scary black man and I and that's that's a real thing though because when the whole Trayvon Martin thing came down I was living in Vegas and 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 I was walking around in a hoodie you know I you know consciously had started feeling so conscious about it because I didn't want to get profiled so it's a thing so I was very very pleased to watch this show I binged it off and on I had a lot of work this weekend but I binged it got through all 13 episodes it is 
a must watch. Yeah, Luke That's Cage. Right. Luke Cage uh, definitely is on the radar for me, and I, like I said, I don't do. I generally do kind of the uh, outlier sort of comic book characters. So I like the Punisher. I like uh, Deadpool, you know, but I'm not into your Iron Mans and your Captain Americas of the world. So Luke Cage is for sure on the radar. Um, And Black Panther, that movie, uh, that might be a day one watch for me. Mm, Yes. Absolutely. I am there for it. And the last thing I'm kind of watching is Lethal Weapon. Um, They basically took the the movie's franchise, which is probably kind of petered out by now, made into a TV show. I had huge, huge skepticism and doubt going to watching this show, but it actually kind of works. And it's, I was telling a friend of mine last night that it's kind of like visual comfort food. I mean, it's, I mean, it's it's not like the first thing I'm going to watch in my very crowded DVR, but when I get to it, it, it it's okay. Like, it, it's 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 pleasing. You know, the chemistry between Damon Wayans and Clayne Crawford, who is phenomenal. Clayne Crawford is a star. Y'all don't know it yet. He's on this little-known show on Sundance Channel called Rectify, entering its last season starting October 26th, I believe, and which I'm all the way caught up on. I love that show. Very slow-burn drama. But Clayne Crawford, you know, does, does really good work there and brings that same kind of intensity to Lethal Weapon. And it's, you know, if you know the, you know, the, the movie franchise is like the crazy, you know, the, the crazy white guy paired up with like the family black guy who's about to retire and stuff. Young, old, white, black, family. Dude lost his family, which is why he's crazy. And so, you know, and 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 that and it, they just make it work though. They have like a nice little chemistry after two episodes, maybe three episodes. And you know, I'm I'm kind of there for it. It might get lost when other better shows in our golden age of of TV comes along. But for now, it's it's nice comfort food. I don't understand why they had to call it Lethal Weapon. Like, what? <laughs> if they, if, there are like, no new they, ideas in Hollywood. That's what it is. No, but it is. But it's totally different than the Lethal Weapons. So technically, it is a new idea, and yet they named it with something old. So, like, <laughs> I'll take your, I'll take your word for it. I, I, I'm not contesting the quality of the television show whatsoever. I just find it funny. I saw. We were watching football last weekend, uh, my wife and I, and the commercial came on for Lethal Weapon, and I was mm. like. Why the fuck do they gotta name it Lethal Weapon? Like it's got nothing to do with the original Lethal Weapon, but I mean that's just a nitpick, I guess. No, 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 no. Yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah, why they name it? Yeah, it's it, it is what it is. It's it's not bad, but Lethal Weapon actually is a nice little segue into this week's topic, which is buddy cop flicks. You ready for it, Peter? I'm ready. Now, now in our in our. Uh, in our end of podcast bet last week, we had a little we had a little wager on who gets to go first this week on whether or not Deepwater Horizon would go over twenty million or under twenty million. I do believe I had the over, you had the under, and how much did, did uh, I was about to call it Lethal Weapon? How much did Deepwater Horizon gross this weekend, Peter? Uh, it was a little over twenty million, like just hair. Twenty point two million. So I get to go first. <laughs> Woo! Damn straight. So, it, so, so here, here are the rules to how we do our our uh, our segment when we basically drafting movies. So it's you have to have a little bit of game theory to get involved with this because basically what we're trying to do is we're trying to draft the top five buddy cop flicks, not necessarily our favorites, but sometimes we're trying to block our 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 friend from getting the movie that we think that they're going to pick. So, for example, if if we're doing, say, Mafia movies and he does Godfather, then that's off the board. I can't do Godfather. I have to come up with something else. And so, and we alternate. I go, then he goes. And my first pick for Buddy Cop Flicks this week is... Wrong Drum. Okay. Uh, it is... I'm just taking it off. Uh, take it off the board. It's super obvious. You're definitely gonna go for it. I'm taking 48 hours. I mean, it's it's almost the gold standard. I mean, you know, yeah, Nick Nolte, yeah. Eddie Murphy, so many classic lines, so many classic scenes. You know, the cop and the convict. You know, going out to solve a case. You know, you know, a racist ass cop who becomes who softens and finds his inner humanity over the course of a film. Probably couldn't get away with it today because it, it came out in, 90, in 1982, but it still holds up g- generally as far as like the broad themes of of uh, hating each other and learning to like each other going through work and through cop and police work. 48 hours, that is my number one pick. I'm taking off the board. 
Yeah, good pick. I like it. Uh, 48 Hours was a good flick. Nick Nolte. Uh, <laughs> it's funny. I can't think of Nick Nolte without picturing his DUI mugshot in my head. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I know that's kind of. <laughs> I know it's kind of. That's kind of fucked up. But what I like about Forty Eight Hours, um, besides Eddie Murphy at peak, peak, peak Eddie Murphy. Uh, <laughs> what what I like about it is how ridiculously well, not ridiculously, but it's very eighties flick uh, through and through. You know, especially with the cop element. Like, you look at an 80s cop movie other than RoboCop, and it's just like 48 hours. And in fact, uh, Copland with Sylvester Stallone, which was a 90s flick, channeled channeled 48 hours quite a bit. Um, it left a legacy as much as maybe 48 hours isn't the type of movie that you think of right off the bat uh, when you think about great movies. But it, it's very good, and I think it did leave a legacy. And uh, it's uh, some some of Nick Nolte and Eddie Murphy's best work, which is you're drawing from a large pool with, with both of them. But uh, I, I think it's a very good movie, very good pick. All right. He shoots, he scores. All right, you're on the clock, Peter. All right, so I'm going to get this one out of the way. Um, the more I think about it um, – it, it, it's 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 definitely up there for me. I this feels like a movie you would like, but I'm not sure that you would have picked it on this list. But uh, I'm gonna put in a bid for End of Watch, starring Michael Michael Caine and Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh, okay, we got a little static there, but I think we caught that End of Watch. Wow. Yep, okay, yep. an early pick. I'm I I like it. Uh, tell us about End of Watch. I, I saw that movie in the theaters. I, I enjoyed it. Tell us about End of Watch. What made you like it, Peter? So I've mentioned on this podcast before that I'm a found footage fan, and I guess this doesn't technically fall under the realm of found footage, but it is uh, steady cam all the way. Uh, you're following around LAPD partners, um, uh, uh, Michael Pena and Jake Gyllenhaal, and um, so you, so you're following so you're following around Jake Gyllenhaal and Michael Pena. And uh, they're two LAPD they're cops. They're kind of, um, let's say, uh, low on the totem pole. And they get pushed around by, you know, higher-up cops and detectives and the chief of police and all that stuff. But, uh, you know, you get to see these two guys in their neighborhoods put, putting in work. And uh, they're very, very authentic, I think, in the portrayal of police who are... Um, in, they're 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 policing a bad neighborhood, but they're kind of from that bad neighborhood at least to an extent. Like they know all the players in the neighborhood um, and and all that. And and so I I thought it was a really good flick. Um, Jake Gyllenhaal at his best. Uh, Michael Pena um, also. Michael Pena, if I had to guess, and uh, yeah, so that's my pick. Uh, I'm sorry, Peter. We might be getting a little bit of feedback. Do you hear anything on your end? No, I, you sound good to me, brother. Okay, all right. Um, okay, maybe it's just on my faulty piece. Okay. Um, yeah, End of Watch is good. Um, it was a little unexpected, especially because I just thought it was going to be like, you know, another basically it looked like just like a ride along you know like an extended ride along between you know uh, two cops whatever but it was really cool how they intertwined their families and stuff and and how you know i mean it gave it, it gave i guess especially well especially these days i mean these days you know the police are under fire a little bit and you know not unnecessarily you know um uh, so but it, it was it was nice to see kind of like the brotherhood between those two guys from different backgrounds and how they really were family because they're partners once again that's i guess that's the beauty of buddy cop films right is that is that you know, bringing people together through their work, and their work just happens to be law enforcement. <laughs> oh, you know what's funny is um, the police are definitely under a microscope right now, but I feel like LAPD have been under a microscope for forever. That's true. Um, <laughs> Rampart yeah. was like what twenty five years ago, something like that. I mean, it was it's been a while since they've been under. Yeah, and Rodney King and, and OJ, and I mean they they they've had a lot of fucking issues with the LAPD. But what was cool about this film is it was like, okay, we're gonna put you in the hot seat with uh with with the actual uh you know officers themselves and you you did have that relatable factor like you said two guys from different backgrounds but they were in a neighborhood that they knew well 
and um, you know all that. So I, I think End of Watch is a great flick. Highly recommended. All right, that's what I'm talking about. Um, so my next film, uh, number two on on my list. Uh, you know, I'm gonna take this one off the board too. Rush Hour. Jackie Chan, Chris Tucker. Yeah, buddy. There you go. I mean, well, I mean, one more. I mean, there really nothing else needs to be said. I mean, we've all seen it. It's a classic. It's what made Chris Tucker a star, um, and or at least we, well, he was a star back in the '90s <laughs> in the aughts. Kind of has been a recluse of late, but you know he made his money, and you know he's living he's living well. Um, and they they had some surprisingly good chemistry. You know the whole you know I mean it's not the most you know racially sensitive film per se, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but most of these films tend not to be. But uh, Rush Hour it just it's just enjoyable. It's the type of movie that if you see playing, you know, three in the morning on TNT or something, you know, you might stop and watch, you know, about half an hour of it. You know, you're like, oh yeah, the time they go to the to the, the Chinese restaurant, that was kind of lit, you know. So yeah, I, that, that's that's my film is Rush Hour. I mean, I'm here for it. Yeah, I, I like Rush Hour a lot. I think it's funny because they, they took Jackie Chan and Chris Tucker is so weird of a pairing that it makes me wonder if that was intentional or if it was like an accident you know like if they if they knew quite what the chemistry would would be and how hilarious it would be i mean maybe some whatever hollywood exec that funded that uh, you know all the producers maybe they knew i don't know um but but jackie chan who had done all basically kung fu movies up to that point and then Chris Tucker, who was virtually unknown, as you had mentioned, and they put him together, and it was like a the fucking smash hit. And, and who would have thought that those two guys would have been, um, you know, partners for it? But they were, and so yeah, great movie. I don't know anyone who doesn't like Rush Hour, uh, and if go. I did, if I did, I wouldn't trust him. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right, your turn, Peter. You are on the clock. Alright, next up on the list, it feels weird to call this a buddy cop movie because it's very serious, it's very solemn, it's a very dark film, but it's Seven with Morgan motherfucking Freeman and Brad Pitt, and it's very lit. Yes, seven. I mean, it, it, it's stretching the term of buddy, but yeah, that's. I mean, they're, they're partners, they're cops, <laughs> they're investigating some some stuff. So go for it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, they're part. They're, they're the whole movie is focused around uh, the killer and those two. So that was kind of how I qualified it in my mind as a, as a, as a, I guess, buddy cop. But I agree that it's stretching the, the terminology a bit, the definition. Um, but wow, what a what a lit concept for a serial killer, somebody who kills based on the seven sins in the Bible. And you, you know, if you ever spend time around, um, you know, very, very, very um, deeply uh, religious people to the point of fanaticism, you know, it, it makes a lot of sense. And, and I'm not calling out religion by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm talking about people who are, you know, deeply disturbed and associate their mental illnesses uh, uh, indirectly with religion. Uh, the concept of a serial killer who is so obsessed with the concept of the seven sins uh, like gluttony and envy and, and lust and all that, um, it makes sense to me that there could conceivably be a serial killer who 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 um, followed those guidelines. And uh, you know, Morgan Freeman is phenomenal. Brad Pitt is great. What's in the box? And uh, yeah, great flesh. <laughs> Yes, that that was one hell of a reveal. I still remember to this day. My goodness, that's that's a that's a really astute pick. I like that, Peter. Um, I'm put that on the board for you. My next pick would be Money Talks, which once again, Chris Tucker. Maybe I was on a Chris Tucker Jag this afternoon. I don't know, but that one had is basically it was basically a an update on Forty Eight Hours to an extent. It was um, it was uh, Chris Tucker was a convict. And Charlie was Charlie Sheen the cop, or was he? Oh no, he was like a journalist. That's right. He, he was like a TV journalist, but it felt like a buddy cop. Con well, you know what? Well, here I am messing up the rules, but it felt like a buddy cop comedy because they were both investigating some stuff, and I'll never, and you'll never forget that that whole scene. Like same time, man, same time. <laughs> that was actually the movie that that <laughs> made that put Chris Tucker on the radar that got him Rush Hour. So while this is definitely stretching the boundaries of 
of a buddy cop uh, flick, and I've, I'll, I'm teeing up my next one, which I'm sure you'll probably snag snag for me. But uh, I, I I really enjoyed that movie as as far as like a, a buddy cop comedy. It was really funny, really hilarious. Came out of nowhere that summer, and no one was checking for it. No one thought Charlie Sheen could be that commercial, but he was, and no one had really heard much of Chris Tucker, but he became a star thanks to that movie. Yeah, now that we talk about it, it's almost like uh, Chris Tucker's the king of like uh, uh, weird partnerships, like Charlie Sheen. I mean, come on. <laughs> you want him on that wall, you need him on that wall. <laughs> That's right. All right, so so what's your what's your next pick, Peter? All right, I'm taking it off the board. It's gone, so forget about it. It's done. I knew you were coming for it. I knew you were coming for it. I'm like an idiot. I could have waited on Money Talks. I could have waited, but no. No, I just had to get it out there because I'm an idiot. All right, go ahead. Beverly Hills Cop. Beverly Hills Cop. All right, you're talking about – you want to talk about peaks? We'll talk about peaks right here and right now. It doesn't get any, it doesn't get any better than Eddie Murphy and Beverly Hills Cop. It doesn't get any better than Sylvester Stone as uh, Sylvester Stallone in, in Beverly Hills Cop. Listen, I've seen Sylvester Demolition. Sloan's not in Beverly Hills Cop. Huh? Sylvester Sloan's not in Beverly Hills Cop. I don't know. He, it, it, I, I know that was my mistake. <laughs> that, that, <laughs> yeah, people I, on the internet like roasting us. <laughs> I'm so, so no, no, Go ahead. I, 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 was, I was tripping over my words because actually, so um, funny story about Beverly Hills Cop is actually Sylvester Stallone was supposed to play uh, the main character instead of Eddie Murphy. Uh, oh, but, really? Yeah, that's that. That's that's true. He was supposed to be Axel Foley, and um, I, just, I did but, not know that. Do tell. <laughs> no, no, I, it, it's it's the truth, and um, anybody can go look it up. Uh, but Eddie Eddie Murphy got the got the gig, which um, you know turned out better for all of us. But um, no, Beverly Hills Cop is. Uh, I don't want to say the best buddy cop movie of all time but i mean it's up there um and, and, and like rush hour i don't know anyone who doesn't like beverly hills cop uh and i wouldn't trust them if they didn't i think um like however also like rush hour uh you could argue that it probably spawned uh more sequels than merited uh you know i i, I don't think i ever saw beverly hills cop three i don't know um that i wanted to but uh, that's just me. Um, so. Test, 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 test. I'll live with it. Okay. All right. Go ahead. No, so so sorry about that, everyone. We had to make a quick cut. Uh, we had some technical difficulties in the studio, but we're back. And Peter's going to tell us how Beverly Hills Cop was originally written for Sylvester Stallone? Yeah, Sylvester Stallone. Um as, as far as far as I know, it anyway, I mean, it's possible that that's like a movie uh, or a Hollywood um, urban legend. But as I as I understand it, uh, the part was written basically for him, and uh, you know, it ended up being Eddie Murphy's jo job to take. And so, as it happens, I think uh, like like Rush Hour. You could argue that Beverly Hills Cop maybe had one too many sequels. Um, <laughs> and then if you want to also count Beverly Hills Ninja with Chris Farley, uh, which <laughs> which some people might, um, you know, it, it spawned a, a whole legacy in Hollywood and uh, cemented itself as uh, one of one of the best buddy cop movies of all time, uh, in my opinion. I ain't falling for the banana tailpipe. <laughs> it's, right. it's, a, it's a classic movie. Yeah, you know what? And and that definitely deserves a sound effect, which I do not have yet. There we go. There yeah, we that, go. That's. I mean, I mean, you played the game perfectly. You have to take Beverly Hills Cop because it's sitting out there. But you know what? I'm gonna take. Which I'm mad I didn't lead off with is just. I mean, one of one of the all time best, one of the all time genre favorites. It can only be. Bad boys, bad nice. boys, bad boys. What you gonna do? What you gonna do when they come for you? <laughs> oh, I heard them bad boys coming. Can't stop now. Gotta continue my running. Yeah, 
Sugar. <laughs> I just want to borrow a cup of brown sugar. I mean, there's so many lines, so many moments. Will Smith in his full '90s Will Smithness. I'm, I'm just saying, like, if you if you were, you know, a semi adult like I was back then, I mean, this was the cool movie. This was the thing to do to go see when you're in college in Atlanta. You know, I mean, to go check out Bad Boys. I mean, it was. I mean, you know, Taylor Leone looking kind of, you know, dirty hot and. Miami looking just sweaty and and sultry and pastelly and you know and Michael I mean Michael Bay using his enormous very specific talents for good and not evil for a change. It was the lit fam. It was the epitome of lit. It was all you want, all you need. It was what was up. That's right. That's right. Uh, no, that's. That's a good one. And man, has uh, Martin Lawrence been in a lot of movies por- portraying a cop for someone who is not intimi- intimidating at all. Uh, <laughs> good point. <laughs> I, I, like, I like Martin Lawrence. I, I used to hate him when I was a kid because of all the Big Mama's House movies that would give me nightmares. But, uh, yeah, those weren't good. <laughs> yeah, but not only were they not good, but like they literally gave me nightmares as a child. So, oh, wow. I, okay. uh, well, you know, I mean, come on, man. You picture Martin Lawrence as a big, giant, old lady. Oh, yeah, he's ugly. He's not, he's not attractive in that movie. <laughs> good God. Good God almighty. Uh, All right, Pierre, so what's your next movie? Actually, this might be your – okay, that's right. This is your fourth movie, and I'll be getting ready for my last one. This is, uh, this is uh, yeah, number four. Uh, okay, so we've talked about my love for Samuel L. Jackson before, right? Yes. Uh, he, he, my Samuel L. Jackson is your Denzel Washington. Uh, oh, okay. And you definitely have a lot of material to work with that one. <laughs> well, you know, I'm a Quentin Tarantino guy through and through. And so, you know, Samuel L. Jackson is always the fucking hardo badass in, Samuel, in Quentin Tarantino movies. I mean, God, we talk about that every week. But not a Quentin Tarantino movie I'm taking here. Die Hard with a Vengeance. The only movie that I can think of that it was a, it was a sequel that happened, you know, 10 years after the fact that actually was pretty fucking good. Um <laughs> You know, listen, it's not – we're not going to be doing film school theses on Die Hard with a Vengeance. Let's just be honest. But <laughs> but it was uh, amazing if you liked fucking explosions and shootouts and, and, and all that good stuff. Um, and, and, you know, John McClane, he, he needed a buddy who liked saying motherfucker as much as he did. And he got it. <laughs> he got Fair it. enough. They definitely did, and and Sam and Sam and and the Die Hard movies was always like John McClane against the world. But in this one, they stuck him with you know, I mean, it's 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 a bit of a movie trope, but you know, it's still Samuel Jackson. He's still going to kind of turn it on its head, you know. The, basically, kind of, I mean, it's it's not the Bagger Vance or the you know the, the mystical Negro, or whatever. But it was it was kind of like the sassy you know black friend. But in this case, it's Samuel Jackson. It's not just you know a total stereotype. It's he's gonna have some edge. He's gonna have some pathos. He's gonna you know he's gonna have some shit to say. So so yeah, I'm I'm there for that. I enjoyed the Howard the Vinch. I remember seeing that in the theaters. It was it was a good time. It was definitely the sassy black friend stereotype. But Samuel L. Jackson kicks much ass, and that's his stereotype, or or that's his that's his like. Um, you know, pigeonhole as an actor. So it's like I think you know it. It, it, it was He's the best intent- pigeonhole you can be. <laughs> it, it, yeah, no, I mean it, it is. It's like it's like listen, you know, he 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 was brought to kick ass and he, and he kicked ass. So um, you know, I I really like Die Hard with a Vengeance. Like I said, not winning any fucking cans cons awards, but in a good 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 flick. Well, and, and in that spirit, in, in that uh, esprit de corps of not winning any kind of awards, <laughs> I'm going to go totally off the map, totally off the reservation with this last one, but with another familiar face who's already graced our, our uh, top five list to close out my top five buddy cop movies. And I am talking about the 1999 non-classic that is known as Blue Streak. <laughs> there it is. There it is. There's, 
There's Martin Lawrence being a fucking police officer again. Uh, <laughs> Martin Lawrence is just, just so dumb and so entertaining. And the it's pairing so of him and Luke Wilson, it's like, what are you doing? But it were, it, it kind of worked. I had a great time. I enjoyed the hell out of that movie. I remember, um, and I think that was about when I was just getting to, to Hollywood or whatever <clears throat> and trying to uh, get some stuff sold. Or maybe we'd had something sold. And, 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 and they're telling us, like, oh, what's, what's hot in the street right now? They're like, yeah, do, you know, do something meets Blue Streak, you know? And, you know, I mean, everyone's always trying to like, copy everyone else in Hollywood. So they, they wanted to find what the next blue streak was, like with the, the odd pairing of, you know, of, of, a, of a motor mouth and a straight guy, you know, a straight man or whatever. And it's just, I mean, and, you know, for better or worse, that very semi, I mean, on all filmmaking aspects, it's a pretty mediocre movie, but it was so entertaining. And the whole stuff with the federales and everything. And Martin Lawrence, that is Martin Lawrence, Martin Lawrence-ing-ness best is just some, a sight to behold. Blue Streak, 1999. Hate me now, hate me later. But <laughs> that's what I'm going with. <laughs> Yo tango un gato in mi pantalones. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. So, so what are you going to round out your list with, Peter? What you got? Okay, well, so now that I have... So I have a couple of picks that I want to... Uh, and now that I have you in the corner on the ropes... Uh, I should take I should take training day. Uh, just, oh my just, god! How did I forget about that? Oh I know. no! That's oh. what I'm saying. I, I should take. I, I know. I know it's over, and I I know like picks. Are, your picks are done, but I should take training day just to just to be a dick. Uh, but I'm gonna I'm gonna take uh I'm gonna take the heat. Um, Sandra Bullock and um. Huh. Okay. Yeah, Melissa McCarthy. Um, nice. Yeah, that that's a that's a great buddy cop flick right there. Um, you know, you've got okay. So one theme in these buddy theme uh, or buddy cop movies I've found is like there's always they they, they always counterweight each other. So like you've got opposite um, tracks. Exactly, the- like Jack. Jackie Chan is very stoic, and he's a you know honed martial arts. Uh, you know, master and Chris Tucker is just off the wall, you know, all passion, all energy, all cursing all the time and, and that kind of thing. And, but, but, but that trope follows itself all the way to like the heat, which only came out a few years ago um, where you've got Sandra Bullock is the stoic counterweight to the uh, obscene Melissa McCarthy, who is basically wonderful in every movie that she's in. Uh, Sandra, <laughs> she, she, She's delight. very. She is she's a delight. Very, she's very funny, and uh, Sandra Bullock, the God, based on our pick of uh, Gravity last week, uh, we all know what she does. The God. You, you don't. You don't need to look up the Wikipedia on Sandra Bullock because you already know about her. Uh, shout out to Boston. Uh, you know, great movie. It's like the heat is like the departed, except it's a comedy movie. Uh, it's chicks and they curse a lot and kick ass and, and, and the heat. And, was great. and what more could you really ask for? I mean, that, that's right up your, your, your alley, isn't it, Peter? <laughs> it, it, it is. And people, people will take, I, I imagine that the average person would take 21 jump street over the heat, like the modern 21 jump street over the heat all day long, but they're wow. wrong. The heat, the heat blows uh, Twenty One Jump Street out of the water. So, uh, fuck, fuck you, Jonah Hill. <laughs> Kicks major ass. All right, and that, and that is our, our, uh, our top five of the week. The buddy cop flicks. Thank you very much, Peter. We, I enjoyed that. And so now we are getting. Yeah, that's right. Clap it up for yourself. Uh, and now we're getting to the portion that you've all been waiting for, uh, where we describe the Cinema Draft game, what it is, and what we're about to get into. Cinema Draft is the fantasy sports version of the movies. You draft ten actors who are signed a dollar value salary. That you have a hundred thousand in budget to try to fit them all in. You must have ten actors, no more, no less. Uh, you have to have at least one actor of three of the release types of movies: wide, limited or platform, and then you also have your headliners, who are worth 40% more. And these headliner actors, for example, if you had Will Smith in Suicide Squad versus Margot Robbie in Suicide Squad, if Suicide Squad earns 100 million, Margot Robbie gets 100 points, while Will Smith gets 140. You get a 40% bonus for your headliners. This game is free to play. We are currently in 
private beta, so definitely check us out at cinemadraft.co. And let's get to one of my favorite portions of the podcast, which is the shot list, also known as views you can use to pick the winning call sheet. All right, so first we're starting with the A-list, and these are actors you will definitely want on your call sheet. We're looking at Emily Blunt. The Girl on the Train, 18,200, it's wide release, and basically, kids, don't overthink it, just go with what you know. This thing is tracking tremendously, it's got a stellar cast, it's got a pretty looking cast, everyone's going to go see this movie, I'm going to go see this movie, so just go with your gut, get Girl on the Train, don't even think about it. It's pricey, it's almost a fifth of your budget, but, <clears throat> but Emily Blunt as a headliner will get you a nice little bonus, do what you must, and get Girl on the train, uh, and also on our shot, also on the A list, we have Ava. Eva, I think it's Ava Green. Um, she's the lead on Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children, and this one caught me unawares. I mean, caught me my pants down. I, I was embarrassed. Everyone stopped up on this movie in last week's uh, feature presentation. As a matter of fact, once I figured out that it was tracking so strongly, I went and did a full stack. I, put eight actors from this Peregrines and try to ride it out, end up losing by a narrow two points in my own game. But basically this thing is came in with 28.8 million this past weekend. Uh, and if you even if you assume a 50% drop, it's still holding around 15 million, which most likely will make it the second highest movie of the weekend. So, you know, once again, don't overthink it. Even despite the tepid reviews, you know, it should still have a strong, strong second weekend of 15 million or more. Nothing else even seems to be in that range. Now, co-starring is the part of the shot list where you have some values that you might want to look out for over the weekend. And this one, my man, Nate Parker, the controversial Nate Parker, with his controversial film, The Birth of a Nation, to my mind, the only televised slave revolt, <laughs> that we've had, historical slave revolt um, that involves black people, not Spartacus. <laughs> he is 13,000. That's right. Yeah, I laughed that up. Uh, he is 13,000. It is wide release. And this is definitely going to be my most high variance pick of the week. I mean, it could soar or it could sink. It's probably not going to be any in between. Everyone I know wants to go see it. But, of course, a lot of people I know are blacks who are educated and gone to college and have been waiting on some shit like this and just chomping at the bit. I'm not sure what the general, you know, uh, movie-going populace is thinking of it. It might, it, it might totally crap out. But I'm going to have me some Birth of a Nation. I'm going to do a little research, see what the tracking looks like. I'm definitely on Birth of a Nation. What about you, Peter, does this hold any interest for you at all? Yeah, I'm all in on Birth of a Nation. And, um, you know, it's to your point, the uh, if you want to know what the American movie going public thinks of it, you can look only to the box office listings of it, in which it is not nearly being treated as. Uh, I'll, I'll put it this way here in Pullman, Washington, we've got one showing of it the next two days. So. I mean, you have one whole. Sh you know what? Honestly, when I, <laughs> it's a true story. When I was growing up, there was a film that came out called Panthers. It was, uh, I think it was not, not Melvin, Mario Van Peebles directed the uh, historical reenactment of the Black Panther Party, right? <clears throat> Which totally has gone a bad rap throughout history. That's another story for another pod. But anyways, Panther came out literally for I think it was. It might have been in Seattle for one weekend, maybe two, in was it 1995 or something, and it was gone. It came and it gone. 1992, it came and it gone, like that. If you didn't catch that first weekend, it was gone. So the fact is even on a screen in Pullman, Washington, I mean, Stranger, give yourself a hand, Pullman. <laughs> Support that film, Pullman, Washington, Eastern Washington. Yeah, Western no, Idaho. It, it's <laughs> definitely, it's got that, Birth of the Nation has that vibe about it where it's like, it's it's almost trying to be swept under the rug. That's that's my personal feelings. Like, I, I you know, you can go anywhere and see storks like seven times a day here, but, um, you know, in the area, but uh, Birth of a Nation only gets like one theater showing. I mean, fuck off. And also, just while, while, while we're at it, shout out to Mario Van Peebles, New Jack City, one of my favorite movies of all time. All right. Man, bruh. That, that, that definitely deserves the... Bruh. <laughs> yeah, that's... Ooh, classic. Classic. Uh, all right. Also in our co-starring category is Lupita Nyong'o, who, turns out, was the deciding factor 
the deciding factor in our $250 feature, feature presentation. Last week, in our inaugural weekend of Real Money Tournaments, where we went live to the public, it came down to the wire. It was truly a sweat. Uh, Fredo was leading after Friday by less than a point over Jay Devlin. Jay Devlin leapfrogged him after weekend estimates, and it was going to have to be a hold. They, they both had similar call sheet, call sheet constructions with a six-pack of Miss Peregrines, and then the two headliners from Deepwater Horizon, and it came down to the fringe. It came down to what they had in their in in their platform and limited releases. They both picked uh, MS Dahoney, the the life story of the Indian cricketer, so that canceled each other out. And whereas Fredo picked Don't Breathe, which has been in release for like five or six weeks, it was Jay Devlin who came through in the clutch, picked Queen of Cotway in its second weekend, just recently expanded twelve hundred screens, and he edged out Fredo by like 0.6 points for a $30 bump. So he went from winning $50 to $80. Good job, Jay Devlin. Just going to shout you out for that astute pick, Queen of Cotway. Lupita Nyong'o as the headliner with that 40% bonus was the difference. And it is it is in limited release still. That is our estimate. It will probably be less than 2,000 screens. Uh, you, you need this one. You, you, you want this one. There's not much out there. It's kind of a wasteland for limited and platform releases this weekend. Um, but this movie, every time I see the commercial, it makes me smile when the little girl says, the small one becomes the big one. <laughs> <laughs> I love that cool girl. I'm going to see a movie. Uh, cutting Room Floor's last part of the shot list. This is basically skip these losers. All Bridget Jones's baby. It's too. It's still probably going to be a wide release. It's just taking up space at this point. It may even be limited. Either way, no one's seen this, this movie. It's only grossed about 20, 21 million. You skip this loser. Uh, and then also When the Bow Breaks which kind of breaks my heart a little bit, even though I didn't see it. It's got some very attractive leads. It's got Morris Chestnut, who's forever young. He's on Rosewood on Fox, still shirtless and at 40-something killing it. And then Regina Hall, who's just, you know, Bay from The Best Man. Gotta love her. Uh, and basically, when it comes to the bow breaks, it's limited release, and it's a tweener. It's just, I anticipate to be just over 500 screens. It's not big enough to be, you know, it's, it's basically what, I'm, what I call a movie without a country. Not big. It's not small to be a platform. It's not big enough to be wide release. And it's got the grosses for neither. It's just stuck in like zombie land. Skip it entirely. There, there are other values out there to be had. Uh, do you have any uh, shots on what you're looking out for this weekend at the box office, Peter? Uh, well, I would like to know if Deepwater Horizon is going to go back in time and uh, win me my under bet. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, it won't roll back the clock. And let me let me talk about Deepwater Horizon for a quick second. I've, I'm very conflicted about this movie. I think I'm actually going to go see it. I might even see it in a theater. But I'm very conflicted because when it happened, it was basically the largest oil spill in American history. It, there's nothing good about this. It was basically corporate malfeasance of the highest order. It polluted the state of Louisiana and killed a, a ton of wildlife and stuff. And yet it's somehow been repackaged, repurposed into a heroic movie directed by Peter Berg. I love Peter Berg. He did right. Friday Night Lights and a lot of good shit. I like Mark, Mark Wahlberg. I love Gina Rodriguez, who's got a smaller part. How is this like a feel-good or triumphant movie? It's beyond me. Beyond me. Yeah, no, okay. And so exactly what you just said was what I was trying to articulate last podcast and failed miserably at, which was that, you know, it got repurposed as something completely different than what the events actually transpired as. At least, at least from my outsider perspective, like, like it got transformed. It got transformed into like a, a White House down or something, where it's like <laughs> yeah, exactly uh, uh, <laughs> they're saving the yeah, world. Hero, like rig when they when they uh, messed yeah. up, and it's like now all of a sudden they're the heroes. No, no, not nah, not buying. Right, right. No, and that and that's that's what I failed at last week. But I was trying to say, but no. So so I will say um, the the thing about Deepwater Horizon is also like you mentioned is that if it continues to shed light on the motherfuckers that were responsible for all that, then you know so so be it, right? And then and also you know it's kind of like the Big Short, right? Where like not only was the Big Short a beautiful um, you know masterpiece of cinema cinematic art but also it, you know you don't let it go the fact that you know the the chief most responsible people for these disasters that have happened in our country in the last you know well forever basically are still not held responsible for it so you know while deep water horizon is a little ridiculous and you know last podcast <laughs> 
last podcast I kind of glazed, you know, grazed upon it was like, oh, it looks stupid. Like that's what I was trying to say was that they turn this, you know, very serious thing into a hero movie, which in my eyes is a little gross, but at the same time, if it's holding those assholes, you know, um, who are responsible for its feet to the fire, then I'm all for it. So as far as what I'm looking at in the box office, I really don't have a ton of, um, you know, new new things. I'm, I'm still high on Sully. I'm a big Tom Hanks guy. love Sully. Um, Magnific- Magnificent Seven is... Um, not only doing well at the box office, but is also anecdotally killing it. I don't. I haven't seen one person. I haven't met one person who saw it who didn't love it. And then also, of course, um, the Birth of a Nation. Go, you're obligated to go see it. So uh, yeah, that that those those are my picks for the box office. Really, is Sully, and um, you know, Birth of a Nation, and The Magnificent Seven. All right, and so we're going to our last segment, our over-under, and the over-under this week is The Birth of a Nation. $15 million this weekend. What do you think, Peter? Uh, are, you, are you over or are you under on, birth, on The Birth of a Nation? I've seen projections at around, like, on the low end, $6 million, and on the high end, $10 million. Oh, um, so, damn. Yeah. Wow, so you're I'm, going under I'm, and taking it. <laughs> I'm yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna take the under because I don't I don't I don't trust uh, the public to take this seriously, uh, you know, and really appreciate how good of a movie it probably is, um, you know. So I'll take the under, unfortunately. No, well, no, that that's fine. And, and I'm I'm optimistic. I'm hopeful. I this could be. I mean, in 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 these uh, emotionally charged times, this might be the movie we need to see to understand each other a little bit more. Maybe the word of mouth will just be spread like wildfire. I mean, word of mouth in the critical arena has just been fantastic. It made it set like a Sundance record for when Nate Parker sold the sucker. I mean, so I I'm hopeful. And and since you took the under, I'll take the over. It's fine. We're gonna cross our fingers. I don't know if I'll wager my entire call sheet on it. But we're gonna we're gonna you know try to try try to see if we can't you know make some magic at the at the box office. One thing I will say about uh, the African American community at times is that when we really want to support a movie, we will turn out in droves. We'll organize parties, church parties, you know, bus party, whatever. It is. You know, we will go out and support our movie, especially on opening weekend, because we know that sometimes, like Panther in 1990s, it might be opening weekend might be the only shot we got. <laughs> any parting shots? Yeah, and- any any parting shots? <laughs> No, I, I, you definitely have a point there. I, I think that with all, like, with how heightened everything has gotten, um, you know, with just racial tensions in this country and everything, I think that could either harm or, or, or help this movie at the box office. And, um, you know, obviously, and Ed Parker's controversy, you know, being drug up from the past in classic Oscar, you know, mudslinging, you know, pre-Oscar mudslinging, yeah, it des- definitely hasn't hurt, helped its uh, box office potential. And when you've got, you know, black women who are like, "I'm not going to see this movie," that's that's a bit of an issue at the box office as well. Yeah, and there, and actually, the the whole the whole means of which I even found out about this movie being produced was through you talking about that. And um, so I don't know, this is going to be, this is for sure going to be a a word of mouth and a sentiment film. And it's going to be either compounded or enabled or however you want to say it um, by the box office and, and who's showing it. And um, you know, so yeah. Um, a true Sully. high variance pick. It's high variance pick. But yeah, but so like you said, Sully is it's just a steady performer. He keeps cranking it out. I talked about it on the micropod with the draft mom. Check that out if you haven't heard it already. Uh, where I brought my mother onto the podcast, or at least the voice of my mother, and we went over the weekend results. <laughs> and and Sully, you know, it, it's it's a it's a steady performer because older people, you know, they don't necessarily bum rush the box office. They take their time with stuff. They'll see in the fourth and fifth weekend and keep it, you know, on its. They're show. like me. They're like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you go into the theater at all, that's right. Uh, all right, well, yeah. thank you all for, for joining us. It has been another adventure. Part, sorry for the technical difficulties. But give yourselves a hand, damn it. Give yourselves a hand for hanging in there, even though we most likely have cut around it. <laughs> uh, where can you find Cinema Draft? You can find us at cinemadraft.com. Co. That is cinemadraft.co. Sign up for an invite to the free beta, and we'll give you a link to our development site. You can find us also on social media 
at Play Cinema Draft on Twitter, Cinema Draft on Facebook, Instagram's at Cinema Draft, Medium slash at Cinema Draft, and Pinterest Cinema Draft, as well as YouTube, some some weird you know thing I'm not gonna get into right now. And then also you can get our podcast if you haven't already at iTunes, Google Music, SoundCloud, or wherever you are currently getting your favorite podcasts from. We are now live with over $300 worth of prizes this weekend. Go to cinemadraft.co to sign up and play for free. Our $250 feature presentation uh, theater counts lock at 6 p.m., which means that's when we lock in the theater sizes for your release type so you can uh, adjust your call sheet with confidence. Uh, those lock at 6 p.m. Pacific on Thursday, and the game starts four hours later at 10 p.m. Pacific and runs throughout the weekend. It is $80 to first and totally free to play. Results are on Monday, 3 p.m. Pacific time, and that is going to do it. And as we say... As we say, how at us later. <laughs> <laughs> and there we are.